At the end of the 1990 college football season, there were two national champions, Colorado and Georgia Tech. The next year, in 1991, there were two more national champions, Miami and Washington. Six years later, in 1997, there were two national champions, Michigan and Nebraska. And finally, the last time we had shared national championships, two national champions in, in 2003. Does anybody know who they are? LSU and Southern Cal. That is because, and this is crazy, right? We used to decide national champions not by having them actually play each other. Like, that would make sense, right? We used to decide, let's not decide who the better team is by actually having them play each other. We actually voted on it. We had polls. And there were two major polls, the AP poll, which is kind of the media and the press and all the writers, and then the coaches poll, which all, every college football coach gets a vote. So there were two major polls. And sometimes, like in 90, 91, 97, and 2003, at the end of those years, one poll would vote one team number one, and the other poll would vote the other team number one. And they would both hang banners and have different trophies that looked a little different, and they both still claim that they are national champions. Because the problem was one didn't always play two. Sometimes one played three, or two played three, or, the one, that, or one and two played each other, but the other poll had number three number one. Now, that seems crazy, right? Now, we have this thing called a playoff. And we always make sure that teams number one, two, three, and four actually play each other on the field. And you get to decide it on the field, and we don't have all these arguments anymore. However, here's what I want to tell you about your marriage. It is much more like a poll than a playoff. Your marriage is much more like a poll than a playoff. If your spouse had a head-to-head -head competition, a playoff, with your career, you would say like, oh, my spouse would win. Of course they're more important, right? Of course they would. If your, if, if your spouse had a, had a playoff, had a head-to-head -head competition against your wants, your desires, your dreams versus their wants and their desires and their dreams, you would say, well, of course I would let my of course, I would, I would want my spouse to win. You, of course, they're more important. They're most the most important person in my life. They're the most important. They're more important than all those other things. But your spouse will never get a head-to-head -head matchup with your career or your dreams or your wants or your desires. Instead, every single day, you get a vote. And you get to vote every morning who am I going to put number one, and who am I going to put number two? There will be no playoff. There's just a poll, and you're the only voter in the poll. There's only one vote. You vote every morning. You vote with how you make up the bed and how you wash the dishes. Do you do it like they want them to? You vote with how you do everything. You vote with every action when you choose their way or your way. You want to ruin a relationship. And I, I, this goes for just about any relationship, but especially marriage. If you want a guaranteed way to end up in divorce court, 
put yourself first in everything. When it comes to money, you should buy what you want. And don't worry about if you've got enough to buy what they want. And don't ever talk about it. When it comes to major decisions, don't get their opinion. Your opinion is the only one that counts. Make sure when you're picking movies, you always pick the movies that you want to see. And make sure when you're picking what to have for dinner, you always have what you want. And make sure you always go where you want out to eat. Make sure that you schedule your life around your life and make them schedule their life around your life. Your schedule is the only one that counts. When it comes to holidays, make sure that you see your family and so what if you don't see their family and for by all means, paint the kitchen and the bedroom the color you want. I mean, listen, if you want to get divorced, it's super easy. All you have to do is put yourself first. All I have to do is look out for number one. All I have to do is wake up every single day and say, you know what, in every decision I face today, I'm going to put me number one, and honey, too bad, you come in second place. Second ain't bad. It's not bad. But I'm going to put me number one. See, you're going to get a vote in all the decisions that you make. They're not going to play head to head. It's just a poll. You're the voter. So here's the question. Who will you vote Number one. Who will you vote number one? And, and where this hits isn't just like, like you can't sit down and say, like, well, of course my spouse comes, or, comes number one. Of course, honey, you come number one. What matters is every single day. Now, if you would like to not ruin your relationship and not end up with the D word, the Apostle Paul gives some great wisdom how to do the exact opposite. Now, keep in mind that this scripture that we're going to study today in the book of Romans is not specifically about marriage. So if you're not married, this can totally apply to every relationship. Paul was actually giving directions for how, to, how Christians should treat everyone. So this, this is for the workplace. This is for uh, extended family relationships. This is for friendships. But I believe that this passage is especially true in marriage and in dating because Paul uses a word here that we throw around a whole lot in romance, and that is the word love, love. How do we get this concept so wrong so often, like 50% of the time. You know that about marriages. I mean, how is it possible that every wedding you go to and they stand there and they hold hands and, you know, there's somebody presiding over the wedding and their friends and family are there and it's so beautiful. She looks so beautiful. The dress is so beautiful. He brushes teeth that day. I mean, like, it's just so it's just so wonderful. They just look beautiful, and they just they vow their love to one another, and they look into each other's eyes, and they hold hands, and they give each other rings, and he kisses the bride, and they say, I love you, and I forsake all others and to, for you to have and to hold. And they do the whole thing, and the wedding cake is beautiful, and everything's just beautiful. Every wedding you go to is beautiful, and half of them hit the skids. Half of them. 
How, does, how do we get this concept that we throw around so much that it's like such a big word to even say in a dating relationship, to say, I love you. Some of you are in dating relationships and you're like, we're almost there, maybe there, will they say it back? This concept that we say is so important, how do we get it so wrong? What was once easy and effortless love and too many times in marriage through the years and through putting myself first becomes hard work and burdensome until one of them wakes up one day and says, I don't think I, what, love you anymore. And sometimes you just want to go, how did that happen? How did we get from the dress and the tuxedo and the cake to that? Well, I believe the Apostle Paul gives us some wisdom as kind of how it happens, what you should do to avoid that. Because if you want to get there, all you got to do is put yourself first, and Paul's going to teach us how not to. Now, what we're going to be looking at is Romans 12. If you've got your Bibles, if you want to uh, open them up and have them there on Romans 12, uh, or if you're at home and you've got a, your app on a tablet or whatever there, you want to open it up. Romans is a very theologically thick um, book. That's just what I just say. It is really rich. It is one of those books of the Bible that you read it, like you read a page, and you're like, I got to read that again. Very thick, very theologically rich. Some theologians say that Romans is the most important Christian book ever written because the Apostle Paul, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, lays out such clear direction of what it means to be a follower of Christ, what it means to, uh, to be saved. It's got some of the most important doctrine, uh, but it's also got some really incredible chunks in there about how to be in relationship to one another. So I want to talk, we're going to start in verse 9, chapter 12, Romans 12, verse 9. If you're in the room and you don't have a hard copy Bible, take one at the bookshelves when you leave. This is what Paul says about love. Love must be sincere. Love must be sincere. Now, if you've been in church for any amount of time, you've probably heard this, but if you're relatively new to church, um, the New Testament writers, with the New Testament is from Matthew on. New Testament is all from Jesus' birth, life, death, and resurrection, and then afterwards. And it, it, the New Testament writers were all written in Greek, and they used various words for love. We kind of have one word for love. They have multiple, the Greeks had multiple words for love. They had philos, which is what? Anybody know? What's Philadelphia? The city of brotherly love. Philos means kind of brotherly love. They have eros, which means kind of this romantic love that we have sometimes. But then there's another word that this is what Paul uses here. This uh, is called agape. We don't really have a great way to say that kind of love in our language. It, it means the kind of love that God has for us. It is a self-sacrificing kind of love. Now, later on, Paul's going to say love again, and he's going to use philos. So they use them different ways in different times. So what Paul's saying is love, real love, is supposed to have this kind of um, self-sacrificing, self-serving. But I, I want to not just unpack that word love. I want to talk about another word in this passage, and that is the word sincere. Now, what does this word mean to you? Anybody? Genuine. Perfect. That's perfect. Perfect. It means like 
like I'm, I'm being, um, I, I'm going to be real with you. I'm genuine. I'm, um, I'm serious. That's right. You're like, no, I'm being sincere. Because someone's like, are you joking? And you're like, no, no, no. I'm being sincere. That's, that's kind of the way, when, when I read that word sincere, that's kind of what that means. I, I'm, I'm being real. I'm not joking. I'm being serious. There's some genuineness to it. And genuine kind of hits on something a little bit deeper I want to lead us to. Because I, I read this verse, that's the NIV version, New International Version. If you go back and read the old King James Version, uh, translated in 1611, and it, it used a word in this passage that I don't think I have ever used in the English language, okay? But I grew up in the country. So it says, love must be without dissimulation. Any English teachers in the room? I've never used that word in my life. I, I read that and I said, I have no idea what that word means. I looked it up and I'm like, oh, look at there. That's an English word. I didn't teach that in my little high school. Uh, huh. Dissimulation. The reason I think it's important is because the word dissimulation is actually, this translation gets a little bit closer to what Paul was trying to say. Dissimulation means concealment of one's thoughts, feelings, or character. It means being pretentious. So that word genuine, whoever said genuine over here, that's getting a little bit closer to, because the concealment of one's thoughts, feelings, it means, what does it mean? Being fake. It means being, being fake. And so Paul actually, this dissimulation gets closer to the actual Greek word that Paul used, which is anapokritos which means unfeigned, undisguised, sincere, but a genuine kind of sincere. What Paul is saying is that real, authentic love has no pretense. It is undisguised. If you're going to love one another, you've got to learn to be real with one another. This is so critical for understanding the rest of what Paul is going to say. When you love someone, you have to tell them what makes you happy and what makes you mad. You have to be genuine with them. You have to be undisguised with them. You can't conceal your thoughts. They have no idea how to vote you number one if you don't ever tell them what makes you feel like number one. You can't come home one day and blow a gasket over the way the dishwasher is set up when you hadn't said a word about it in 25 years. That's not being real. That's being fake. That's not being undisguised. You have had put on pretense, and you've pretended. That's what pretense means. You have pretended that everything is okay, and then 25 years later, boom, gasket blows. Paul says, that's not love. That's not the kind of self-sacrificing, surrendering, agape love. That kind of love is real. It's undisguised. It's genuine with one another. This is so critical in marriage, and it's really critical in dating. All right? Because at some point in dating, you've got to reach the point where you start being real with one another. Because when you start out in dating, come on, you're fake right? You're fake. When you start out dating, you're fake. You laugh at all their bad jokes. 
You get dressed up when you'd rather be in sweatpants. They're like, where do you want to eat? And you're like, I don't care. Let's go wherever you want to go. Because <laughs> you just want to be together. Right? What movie you want to see? I don't care. Whatever movie you want to see. And you don't toot in front of each other. <laughs> Can I say that in a sermon? But there comes a point you have to say, hey, we've been to this restaurant four times, and you should know, I don't like it. Like, we've been to see all these kinds of movies. You should know, I don't like those kinds of movies. Hey, can we just stay home and wear sweatpants? I don't want to get dressed up. Right? There comes a point because you can't do a marriage on pretense. You can't do real authentic love on something that is disguised. You got to be real. You have to be authentic. They got to know about your likes, your dislikes, your wants and desires, your dreams and hopes, what's unacceptable. So the first step, and you're going to say, like, why is that important? That is going to be so important to what Paul is going to say about how we rank myself, how I rank me number one, or how I rank you number one, honey. So Paul goes on. Next part, he says, hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Totally agree, we should do that. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. He goes on then on the next verse. He says, be devoted to one another in love. There's that word again. Be devoted to one another in love. We should have this devotion. Now, here's where you and I have the problem with this word love. This is such a nebulous word in our culture. Love. We say we love a lot of things. I love Chick-fil-A sauce. Come on. I, I love reading. I love my wife. Now, what is the weight of those love? What is the value of those loves? My wife, she makes me happy. So does Chick-fil-A sauce. <laughs> but we all know when we say that, that those loves are different. Paul spends a good chunk of his letters trying to unpack the concept of love because Jesus gave us two commands, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And that is to be more than this emotional thing. That is to be more than just, just this feeling. Paul says, if you want to know what being devoted to one another in love looks like, here it is. All right, are you ready? Here it is. If you're at home, here it is. This is the biggie. Paul says it's simple. Honor one another above yourselves. Honor one another above yourselves. When I get up in the morning, here's, here's the decision that I've got to make. Am I going to put me first, and honey, am I going to put you second? Every morning, I've got to make a decision. When I look in the mirror, is that the guy that I'm going to put first? Am I going to put me first? When we come to a decision that we have to make, am I going to put me first? When we come to figure out what we're going to do with the kids, am I going to put me first? Or am I going to put you first? Paul says, if I'm going to be the kind of husband that truly loves his wife, then honey, I'm going to wake up every day and I'm going to put you first and me second. 
That's what it means, Paul says, to be devoted to one another in love. This is a crazy thing because I like winning. I want to get my way. I want to be number one. And Paul says, well, that's not what love looks like at all. Love rooted in Christ looks like losing. Love looks like losing. Love looks like waking up every morning, every day, and looking in the mirror and say, self, you're going to be a loser today. You're coming in second. You're coming in second because you've got a you in your life. You've got a sweetheart. You've got a honey. You've got a, you got a wife or you've got a husband if you're a lady. And, and I'm going to put the you in my life first. And I'm going to put the me in my life second. Love looks like losing. And then uh, Paul says, sometimes, then he says, this is going to take a lot of work. Right? This is going to take a lot of effort. This isn't going to be easy. And I love this word he uses to close it out. He said it's going to take a lot of zeal. Isn't that a great word? Zeal. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. It's going to take some zeal. Here's what's going to happen. What, what Paul is saying is that it's not that anyone ever wakes up and says, I'm going to make my spouse feel like trash today, and I'm going to put them second. I don't believe anybody ever wakes up and thinks that. I think we just get lazy. I think we just get lazy, and it just gets really easy if you don't think about it, you don't work at it, and then all of a sudden you kind of put me first. And then I'm like, yeah, see, i got to go back, and it takes a lot of work to put you first and to put me second. And if you just get lazy, our natural inclination will be to put me first. So I'm kind of a systems guy, right? So I've got three words. It's hard for me to say, like, how do I systematize this? How do I create a process? So I've just got three words that maybe you might could remember to, to help understand how I can make sure that I keep my zeal and I keep putting me second and I keep putting you, sweetheart. Number one. First, decelerate. Slow down. How do I put the you in my life first? How do you put the you in your life first? Sometimes I just need to decelerate. I just need to slow down. Because if I don't slow down, if I just kind of do what comes naturally, I don't know about you, but I'm kind of naturally bent towards selfishness. And you are too. You know how I know this? your parents did not have to teach you how to steal toys when you were a toddler. And anybody that has toddlers knows they're really good at it. It's amazing. You don't ever have to teach them, hey, when we go on this play date, I want you to steal a toy from that kid. Let me see how good you are at it. You don't ever have to tell them that. They're awesome at it. They're so good at being selfish. We all come out of the womb selfish, and what do you have to teach toddlers? That's their toy. We don't steal their toy. We're going to let them have that toy. We all have this bent. So sometimes we just need to slow down, and sometimes we just need to just to say, what will my spouse think of this? What will, what will, how will they think about this? What would I do if they were beside me? You know, I want to do this thing, or I, I want to go here, or I want to make this decision, and I'm just going to put first. It's just my first inclination is put me first. And then I would go, oh, you know, if she were here, 
she would have another opinion. So I'm going to slow down, decelerate, and I'm going to put you first and me second. And that means I'm not going to do what I want to do, but I'm glad I slowed down. Second thing, communicate. Communicate. This might mean you say, like, hey, we need to talk about this. Maybe we need to sit down one night. Maybe we need to have, maybe this is a long series of communication. Maybe this is like, this, we're going to take a couple of weeks to talk about this. Maybe, maybe it's just a text or a phone call. Like, do you know how, how, do you know how oftentimes I end up, I could end up putting me first that it could, I could have stopped it with a phone call or a text? Like, so one of the easiest ways to put me first or for yourself to put yourself first is with money, right? It's so easy. Just buy what you want, not have conversations. One of the things I tell um, young couples, I make young couples when I do premarital with them, is they need to come up with a dollar figure that they're not going to spend without talking to the other one. Like you, and that's going to be different depending on your income, depending, it's going to change with age, but no one wants to come home to a $1,000 surprise, right? If you're young and married, it might be a $200 surprise. No one wants to come home to one of those surprises, and all you got to do, all you got to do is just pick up the phone and just say, hey, all you got, we have these machines that send instantaneous messages, Send a picture with the price tag. What do you think about this? I'm thinking about getting it. It's on sale. I've always wanted one. And then you can just kind of talk about it. Sometimes there's other things you need to communicate about. Maybe you need to communicate about social media. I am old enough, you know, that I remember when Facebook came out. Right? Some of you remember this. It's 2007. And no one knew the social media rules. Do you remember that? Like we didn't know like the implications of what it meant to be someone's friend on Facebook. At first, like you just didn't know. Do I accept their request? What does that mean from them? Does that mean we share bank accounts now that we're friends? Like I don't know what it means that we're friends. And I remember when Facebook first came out and I got a friend request from an ex-girlfriend. I didn't know what to do. I don't know what to do. You know what I did? Decelerate, communicate. I said, Emily, what, what do you think about this? What are the implications of this? She said, I think it's okay. She was a little quicker on the social media than I was. She's like, I think it's okay. I think it's okay. I accept, you know, I accepted the friend request. But there might be some in your life that she or he might go, no, it's, it's not okay. Like, you don't need to follow them. You don't need to communicate with them. Just communicate. And the last one is after you decelerate and communicate, elevate. Elevate. And that means that I am going to put them first. I'm going to compromise. I'm going to, how can I honor them above myself? This is so important when dealing with the opposite sex. Because here's what I know. If, if, I, if I honor my spouse and I always put you first and I always put me second when it, in, my, in relationships with the opposite sex, there are going to be some people who won't understand this. And particularly because of my position as a pastor, I have some pretty strict rules for myself, but you need to have rules for yourself too. 
Uh, and you need to discuss what those are. And there will always be discussions. There will always be time. And I talked about this a little bit last week. There will always be times. There will be some people who won't get it. There will be some people who will say, well, you, you know, that's just a little too strict. That's just a little too much. And, and here's what I say. Like, listen, if there's, uh, listen, I got one you in my life. I got one you in my life. And if, if I got to pick a you that's going to be number one right here in this situation, it's not going to be you, sister. It's going to be you, sweetheart. And that means I'm going to have to put me number two, which might mean I have to have an awkward conversation. It might mean that I have to tell somebody like, hey, we probably shouldn't, we're not, let's not ride together. And they're like, why not? We're going like a quarter mile. And you're like, let's not. And it might create some awkward things for me, but I've decided, I made a vow to put you, the one you in my life, number one for the rest of my life. And that means other people's feelings and other people's attitudes and other people's understandings, they're going to come way down here on the totem pole. It's one little big way that I have to decide who am I going to vote number one. You got one you in your life. You made a vow to one you in your life. Which you are you going to put first? Decelerate, communicate, elevate. And this, this is so important. This is so important. We can't get it wrong. You want to ruin a relationship? You want to ruin a relationship? Say, I'm going to put me first. I'm going to put you second. And here's what I'll tell you. Honor your spouse above yourself or you might end up by yourself. Here's what I know. If I keep doing this, if I keep putting me first and I keep putting the you in my life second, then it won't start coming. It won't won't be long that my sweetheart, my wife, will start feeling like number two all the time and start feeling like she's losing all the time. And you know what? When that happens, you you can start imagining a world where there is no other person because if you can just take the me out of the equation, then all of a sudden I can just get to rank myself number two. I'm the only one in the equation. All I got to do is take them out. And now all I get is one vote and I can, I can vote for me. But I'm so tired of being number two. Or you start feeling like number two all the time and you go to work and somebody says, hi, <laughs> hi, you look nice today. And they ask them something that they never get asked at home. What's your opinion on this? And they start feeling like number one. And I want to tell you something. When the you in your life feels like number two at home and starts feeling like number one at work or the club, you got trouble. Because nobody wants to be number two for their whole life. I don't know if you can affair proof your marriage. Gosh, I'd preach that series every, you know, every February. I don't know if you can divorce-proof your marriage. But I'm going to tell you what, this is a good start. This is a good start.
Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good, be devoted to one another in love, honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. A great start is just to wake up every day and say, honey, I'm going to put you first and I'm going to put me second. Every single day when it comes to, when it comes to how I think, I want to put you first in the little things and in the big things, I'm going to put you first. And you can leave me, but you're going to have to take a demotion, right? Because this is the only place you're going to be number one in always in my life because love looks like losing. Love looks like losing. Here's the crazy, here's the secret, okay? Here's the secret. If you will both do this every day for the rest of your life, you'll both be ranked number one. And deep down, deep down, what we all really want isn't to look out for number one. It's to be somebody else's number one. That is how you rock a relationship. And Christians ought to be better at this than anybody because we serve a Savior who taught us what it looked like to honor one another above ourselves. We serve a God who came to earth in human form and on the last night, Jesus was with his disciples, broke bread, and said, this is my body broken for you. And every time you eat this, remember me. Remember that love looks like a body being broken. And then he took the cup and he said, this is my blood of the new covenant poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. And every time you drink this, I want you to remember me. I want you to remember that love looks like blood being sacrificed. And then he told them something really profound. He said, a new command I have for you. When you leave this table, and when you see what you're going to see with me on the cross, a new command, love one another as I have loved you. The love that you are to have for one another is a self-sacrificing, putting others first, dying on a cross kind of love. And if you and I will love like that every single day for the rest of our lives, we'll have a marriage that looks like Jesus.